Welcome to Third Floor Views, where we at Chesapeake Family Life talk about health, education, and living with kids. I'm your host, Janet Jefferson. Recently, Chesapeake Family Life received an email from one of our readers. Her name's Annie. She had just won a $25 gift card from Chesapeake Family Life for filling out a survey. And it was just a small thank you gift that we sent, uh, something that we, we frequently do. And she was about to email us and say thank you for that. And as she was in her email, she noticed another email in her inbox about a family in need and requesting some extra help and asking that, that she make a donation. And she had planned to use this unexpected $25 gift card as, as for her family to buy a few gifts. But she saw that email and she thought, you know what? this is the perfect time for, for me to give. She acknowledged that it had been a really hard year for everyone. 2020 has been a rough one. And she decided to help that family. And then Annie wrote that email to us to say thank you. And she inspired us at Chesapeake Family Life to pay it forward too. Because we can't have our usual holiday celebration this year, we've decided to donate that money to a variety of community groups in need. And Donna Jefferson, the publisher, is is matching whatever the staff donates. So today's show is all about paying it forward. And we have a bunch of great organizations that are doing fantastic work in the community. And they're here to speak about the work that they're doing and the need that they are seeing in the community right now. And hopefully this will inspire you to pay it forward too. So just a few brief introductions. We have Joanne Matson, who's executive director of the Lighthouse Shelter in Annapolis. We have Susan Thomas, who's executive director at Anne Arundel County Food Bank. And then we also have Sherry Parliament, Chief Development Officer at House of Ruth, Maryland. So a big thank you to all of you for joining today. I really appreciate you taking some time out of this, this really busy holiday season. Let's get started. So let's start with Joanne. What are you seeing right now in terms of the need in, in our community and specifically for the Lighthouse Shelter? What is the work that you're doing and, and what's the, the need that you're seeing right now? Well, for over 30 years, the Lighthouse has been providing homeless support services to people in the Annapolis area throughout Anne Arundel County. And we serve more than 2,000 families and individuals a year through our programs. So when things started going south last March, we've had to make a couple of changes. We had to reduce the number of residents we have in our, in our residential program. We still have the same number of families in our family apartments and our transitional apartments. We had to close down our bistro per governor's order. And we the bistro quickly pivoted to become a, a meal resource for those in need in the community. So since the start of the pandemic, uh, the bistro staff has been preparing and delivering meals. At this point, I think we're close to uh, 50,000 meals that we've distributed throughout the community for folks who are experiencing homelessness, folks staying at the shelter, at the hotel, the lighthouse, Department of Aging, other communities in great need. And the other piece that we're really seeing a huge need, of course, is folks who are facing eviction because of the pandemic, because of job loss. We received a CARES Act fund grant, a pass-through grant to help people stay in their houses for eviction prevention. We've distributed 
through that more than $300,000 to help people stay in their homes. We are seeing people we've never seen before at the Lighthouse, people who are, are facing eviction at risk of homelessness for the first time in their lives. These are people who've never been late on a payment and they're coming to us in, in frankly, in droves. And people are, the average is six to $10,000 in arrears for rent. So we're really really working hard to try to keep people housed. And we've helped 300 plus people stay in their house uh, houses since the beginning of the pandemic. And we've been able to permanently house 59 people through our program too, which is amazing. People are working really, really hard, but we are concerned about what the future is going to bring for this area. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a scary time for a lot of people. Sherry, what are you seeing at House of Ruth in, in Maryland? Sure. So we have been fortunate in that our shelter has remained open the entire time. That was our highest priority as things started shutting down to make sure that we maintained that 24-7 service for victims of intimate partner violence. And we did. We've stayed open at full capacity. And unfortunately, we've been at full capacity for the duration. And we've expanded some of our other transitional housing programs to make sure that we have somewhere for folks to go to. But what we're finding, and I'm sure that others will agree, is that folks are coming to us in much greater need um, they're waiting longer to reach out for help, particularly for victims who are living with an, with an abusive partner. You know, working from home and having an abusive partner in the house means you know, there's no outlets for connecting with an organization to get help. It means you're not going to school and doing school drop-off and talking to other parents or potentially talking to a teacher. So there's there's fewer outlets for victims to reach out for help. So in addition to maintaining the emergency shelter operations, we've always had a 24-7 contact number. We've added a chat service on our website. So at our website, you can go and chat with a live counselor pretty much 24-7, except we're, we're not completely 24-7 Saturday and Sunday overnights. We're not quite there yet, but we're working on it. Um, but having that chat capability so a victim could literally be sitting beside the partner and chatting with us in a, a quiet way through their phone, through the website, and get some of that information that they may need because we know that they may not be able to call and they may not be able to come to our offices and meet with somebody. And you know, we've transitioned, you know, as everybody has, you know, the word of the year's pivot. And so we've pivoted all of our services and we're doing online counseling and online group sessions. And we've done online court appearances with folks so they can get protective orders and peace orders. And so we, you know, our goal has been to maintain as much of the wholeness of our operations as possible because we know the need's not going away but we know that people aren't reaching out as early as they would have. And so when they do reach out, it's, it's far more severe than had they reached out, you know, six months ago, eight months ago, um, or even perhaps before the pandemic started. So it's, it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge to meet those more extensive needs. And for all of us, all of these things intertwine. So if she's a victim of intimate partner violence, there's a possibility of job loss in the home, of financial issues, of you know, healthcare access, do they have any, you know, all of those sorts of things start playing together and takes one problem and it really snowballs and becomes a, an overwhelming situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I see that, especially with stay at home orders, when you are in a situation where you're, you're in your house, then that can really escalate. So I could see there being a lot more need this year, maybe than previously. Susan, what are you seeing at the food bank? How has the pandemic and, and economic crisis impacted your work this year? It's definitely uh, provided a lot of unique challenges. So our goal is to make sure that there's food accessible throughout the entire county for people to access. When COVID hit, most of our pantries are staffed by seniors who are at the high risk group of getting COVID. So 
several pantries had to shut down and then it was really opening up new emergency pantries as the need increased, which some of our pantries have seen, they've gone right now we're in between a 300 to 410% increase on what they would typically have. They've actually had to get traffic control. We've had to add additional sites. One of the other challenges that you're looking at is it takes three months to get unemployment. It takes time to get food stamps. And these people that don't have an income right now and they're falling behind on their rent, they're falling behind on the utilities. We used to be more of a supplemental program and the food stamps really helped provide a buffer. But right now with COVID and it taking so long to get those fundings to go through, we're really having to provide more food to help people get through. Yeah. A lot of need. And I could see how (laughs) your organizations have really had to step up in in unprecedented ways, which I can't decide if that's that's just now the worst word in in the history of of, of ever is unprecedented. So you're definitely seeing more need. Are you seeing giving or um, volunteering stepping up as well? Um, Sherry, I'll start with you. Are you seeing the community step up to fill in those gaps or, or not as much? Has there been a drop off in giving as well? We are, you know, we're seeing some of both. You know, we have longtime donors who are, you know, we're all in the same storm. And we have longtime donors who are experiencing job loss and, and some of those things that, you know, they may never have thought would even be a possibility for them. And so we're seeing longtime donors who are decreasing donations or not donating this year, but we're seeing lots of new donors. There are lots of donors who, you know, maybe knew about us before, but, you know, oh, you know, they just weren't really compelled to give. And we're finding a lot of folks really see the need in the community and are stepping forward and making donations. And we've been very fortunate that not just the individuals, but the local foundations have been wonderful in really stepping up and increasing their support and, and reducing some of the strings. Um, for those of us who are in the nonprofit world, you know that um, Grants oftentimes come with lots and lots of strings and create their own source of of a workload. And so we've seen some relaxing of that, which has allowed us some flexibility to do some of the things that we need to do. So so it's a little bit of both. You know, my my bigger concern right now really is what happens as we move into the next year. Mm -hmm. And as some of these businesses, you know, particularly when you're looking at restaurants and some of the harder hit businesses, as more and more of these shut down, there's going to be, you know, more of a ripple effect in the community. So while right now, you know, folks are pouring out, you know, their hearts to, to help the community, I do worry about what six months from now looks like because, you know, the situation may have changed yet again and we just don't know what that looks like. But we have been very fortunate. Volunteers, it's a different story. Um, we've had to stop having volunteers on site because we do have the emergency shelter and the risk of transmission. We just don't want to have an outbreak in our shelter because uh, that creates all sorts of issues. So, We've stopped having um, volunteers on site, which has really been a challenge for us because we do have a lot of volunteer support, but for the safety of our staff, our clients, and the community, it just wasn't the best thing to do. But what's been fun is we found some new ways to engage volunteers, and we've had some volunteers doing donor calls, calling and thanking some of our donors, and both sides loved it. We got really great feedback from some of our donors, so it was really neat to talk to a volunteer and the volunteers kind of connecting with that donor base in a way that they never had before. So it, you know, it's been a challenge, but it's been a time where we've had to think about new things and new ways to do things. And some of those have been really beneficial. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I can see how, again, pivoting is, is always a challenge. And it's interesting that you are seeing that mixed bag of, of both an increase in some areas and a decrease in others in terms of giving and a little bit of trepidation about the future and what that holds. Susan, how about you? What are you seeing at the food bank in terms of, of giving? Are you seeing it the same as it's been previous years? Are you seeing a drop or even an increase? So it's definitely been different than in previous years. Most of our food drives that we have are in person. And with COVID, I would say over 90% of them had to be canceled because of limited contact. Right. Uh, but at the same time, virtual drives really did increase. So we did get a, a good strong amount of people that are donating virtually, which is extremely helpful to get the food in. Uh, we're kind of in the same predicament predicament. We're trying to limit the amount of volunteers. We still need to limit the amount of people that come into our building. So we did have where we could have six uh, volunteers in here a day, which is a great reduction on what we typically have. And then we're also working on getting some off-site sorting locations up and running. So that way we can get some more volunteers in. Mm -hmm. uh, but way volunteers have really come through is just with the emergency pantries. When we needed a new site to open up, uh, the people saw the need and they were willing to help and uh, get a pantry going in different areas of the community that we had struggled to really get help in before. So it, it's definitely uh, been hitting close to home and people can see the need, the importance, and they do wanna help. Susan, what does a virtual drive look like? Is that just now money or is there actual food being donated in some way as well? So when you purchase online, it's basically purchasing the food online and having it shipped directly to the food bank. Okay. So that way it cuts out the middleman and it also eliminates having to come to the food bank and additional contact. Mm -hmm. that, that makes a lot of sense. Has that has that sort of changed what you're getting and the types of items that you're getting? So we're right, typically I would have a wish list of these are the most needed items. Right now the food literally is not staying on the shelf long enough for us to have a most needed item. So we really don't have a wish list. It's any shelf stable food, baby food, diapers. It, it, the list is definitely not detailed to where I have a gap because it goes off the shelf as soon as it comes in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> um, Joanne, what are you seeing in terms of, of giving this year? Are you seeing it similar to previous years or is it, is it totally different? Well, I can echo both what Sherry and Susan said about what they're experiencing. Um, heading into this year, we anticipated a drop in donations. Um, and, and frankly, so far, we have not seen that. Um, we've seen the, a real outpouring of incredible support from the community, both financially and also, um, we also do a lot with food insecurity at the Lighthouse. And so our donations um, for food, and like Susan said, the moment they come in, they, they go right back out again. We, um, we have um, every day, 12 hours a day, we have a walk-up pantry that people can access where they can get sandwiches, meals, toiletries, groceries, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day. We see about 50 to 100 people there. So um, donations have really helped us with that. And then twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have a drive-through pantry and we're seeing about 250 people through that as well. So all of our donations are food donations, just like Susan said, going right out the door. Um, at this time of year, people love to give holiday gifts and love to support, especially the children at the shelter. Um, but, but to be in a homeless shelter over the holidays is, is 
pretty hard. And so we do everything we can um, to make that more comfortable and joyful for people. And our donors have really helped out with that. So much so that we have um, enough toys this year that Tuesday at our food pantry, we're also going to open a toy pantry outside so people from the community can come up and get toys for their loved ones. We miss our volunteers so much and it is challenging to continue to engage them because we had to, you know, we also, we didn't shut down, but we had to close our doors to um, extra people. And so we can't wait for the day when our volunteers can come back, but they're, they're still preparing um, meals that we're able then to divide up and serve individually to our folks in a safe way. But I, I have to say, I am overwhelmed by the support in the community. And when I make a call to thank people for their donation, I say, you know what, this is not just a financial gift to us, but I have to tell you, it is such a morale booster for Mm -hmm. us to know that you are thinking of us and that, that you made this contribution to us at this time. It's really helpful. It makes us, you know, aware that we're in this together. Yeah, I'm sure that that does feel really good to know that that we are a community and 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 I think especially right now in a pandemic where we don't see people like we are used to, it it's easy to feel really isolated and alone. So having that that boost is is really positive. Yeah. So I have a question about it sounds like everyone's needs are sort of being met and and yes things are flying off the off the shelf and but you're you're sort of hanging on. I mean at least the three of you are sitting here talking to me today. You know, things aren't so bad where where that's not possible. So, let's look at this in in an even more positive light. Let's say you got a big lump sum of money today, what would you do with that? So Susan, let's start with you. If you did get a big increase in, in donations, what would that allow you to do? So right now, a lot of what we've been able to do has really been with the great funding that we've gotten through the CARES to have the purchasing power to buy the food needed to meet the need. But those funds end the end of the year. So right now we're bracing ourselves for the next six months. And trying to figure out how we're going to have enough funds to continue to purchase the food that's going to be needed. We have inmates that would come here and work on our warehouse floor. We lost them March 13th because of COVID. So we've been relying on temporary staff to come in every day. Again, the funding that we had to support their salaries will also end the end of the year. So just trying to make sure we have enough staff in order to continue to process and distribute the food that's needed and the the funds to purchase the food that is needed by the county. So it sounds like the end of year is is a big big deadline in terms of um, changes happening and sort of a nervous moment. Um, Right now we're purchasing about half a million dollars, 500,000 to $700,000 in food every single month. We've given out over 3.7 million pounds of food since COVID began. Uh, And the numbers are continuing to rise. One of the things that we're bracing ourselves for is I read an article, 12 million in the United States are set to lose food stamps the week after Christmas. Mm -hmm. So as that ends, the spike is going to go up when our funding ends. Right. Right. So it's, it's um, a definite imminent problem. Joanne, what would you, um, what would more money allow you to do? What would you do with that? Well, I've been thinking about it when Susan was talking. I mean, for us, again, our focus is is housing, is keeping people housed. 
And so, as I said, we are very concerned about, frankly, the, it's been described as a tsunami of need that we're going to be seeing with people um, being evicted when the moratorium ends. Um, so two big things that, that I would want to do. One is to um, develop more ways and use that funding to keep people housed. With the CARES Act expiring, as Susan mentioned, we won't have that anymore. But one of the things that we really um, work very hard at at the Lighthouse is working with people in a relationship to help um, help them get out of the situation that they're in as much as possible. So to help people find the employment that they need as soon as they need it to provide temporary assistance for them in terms of housing before, you know, until they're able to get on their feet. So I would love to use it for that. And also we, we also have a day center at the lighthouse, um, Safe Harbor Resource Center. And we have seen um, a real increase in the number of people who are living on the street right now or in campus, they are not able to get into shelter right now. And so I would love to increase my staffing and increase my space there so we can continue to serve more people, um, have them come in for the showers and the laundry services and the case management, the hot cup of coffee, just all of that, that means so much right now. So it sounds like, you know, the, the need is increasing and both Susan had said that as well. And so you're looking at the future and, and it, and it looks scary. So yes. having, having those resources there to be able to support the community is, is now more important than ever. Right. Sherry, when I said, okay, you're all here, you're all okay. And the look on your face was like, I'm not okay. So tell me about it. Talk about your needs and are they being met as an organization? And then what would extra uh, financial support allow you to do? And so and I look like that because, yeah, we're here and, you know, it's, it's hard and it's not, um, it's not just for the clients we serve, but also for our staff. You know, as we look at our staff and the enormous lengths that our staff have gone to to make sure that that the need is met. But even pre-COVID, for every victim that we provided shelter for or got into a program, we were turning two away. So the need was already far exceeding what we could provide. And so it's just exacerbated. And, you know, we, we've talked about you know, the ending of the CARES Act funding and some of the other things. And what we know generally in looking at past disaster situations and, you know, when horrible, awful, you know, kind of moment in time things happen, it takes about three to six months before you start to see that increase. But once things start to resolve a little bit, you see a tremendous increase in the need for services because people have kind of settled out, you know, those high level needs of, you know, okay, the health situation is resolved. And then they start working on all the other things. And so, even though we're kind of at capacity right now, we're expecting a surge. And so that's a little alarming. Um, we're also looking at the same issues as we're working with victims in that they're facing all of these things as well. You know, having protection from evictions, making sure they do have food on the table, transportation, because lots of folks right now, quite frankly, are scared to take public transit. You know, you're in a, on a bus with a whole bunch of people and some are wearing masks and some aren't and all of the anxieties that come with that. So there's tremendous need. You know, we'd love to have our chat line staff 24 hours a day so that we're available at any point in time, you know, and having some, you know, funds to make sure that folks are getting those basic needs that they need to stay stable in the community met. You know, we do a, a pretty tremendous transitional housing program where we help victims get settled in the community because you can't just say, okay, leave your abuser. Good luck. You know, it doesn't mean if we take her out of that situation that she's going to be fine. And so, getting her set in a community where she has some community supports and doing some type of 
rental step-down assistance so she can kind of get stable is hugely important. And so those are the sorts of things that we're really looking at. The other thing that has really been a challenge is we also work with abusers. And so we know that we can provide direct services to the victims, but if we don't stop the abusive behavior, there will always be another victim. And so our abuse intervention program has really struggled and it's a program that people don't want to fund. You know, people don't want to support, you know, changing the abuser. We want to help the victim and the children, but he's the bad guy. And the reality is we've got to help him get better. So there's not more victims. You know, there's only so many shelters. There's only so many beds. So how do we change his behavior? And that program has been, has really struggled because the courts were closed for a period of time. And about 94% of our participants in that are court ordered. And it's also something that's really challenging to do in a virtual environment because oftentimes they don't have access to the technology to do something like this. They don't have a place where they can do it quietly. They don't have a place where they can do it confidentially. Because if you can imagine being in a group of 15 or 20 of all of you have court records, you know, you're all here because you're court ordered. You're gonna be very leery of getting on here and, you know, confessing your innermost feelings with, you know, 15 of your closest friends and not knowing who's in the room with them. And so that program in particular has really, it's really been a challenge. And so, and then even, you know, I know we, you know, we're all nonprofits here. And so oftentimes we don't have the supplies that some of the corporate offices would have, you know, we don't have laptops for everyone. And that's a huge challenge when we're trying to limit the number of people in our buildings and making sure that we have some of those technological resources that, you know, quite frankly, as a nonprofit are not at the, the top of the priority list. So so there are tons of ways the money could be spent. There's always, you know, we have a, a wish list of things and you're know, kind of moving down those as we go. But there's, um, you know, the like I said earlier, my biggest concern is is what lies ahead and what we're looking at when some of these supports stop mm -hmm. and then what the what the outpouring looks like at that point. Right. Okay, so we've established that there is way more need um, than than you can all support right now. You could really benefit from some extra support from the community and, and whether that be individuals or businesses or foundations or anything. So now I want to ask the question is, what can we do? So Joanne, let's start with you. What can people do? Is what's the, what really are you looking for? Is money the best way to donate? Is other goods or services or is volunteering an option in any way, shape or form? What is family friendly? What is COVID friendly? So the big question is just, what can we do? What can we do to support your work right now? Well, yes, we always love to get funding. I mean, that's what we need. And that's to keep our lights on, to keep to keep going. We certainly do need that. We also, uh, I would direct people to our website. We work very hard to keep that up to date. And it's, you know, it's always changing. So check that out. I mean, sometimes we need, we'll, um, we'll have handed out all of our sleeping bags. We need sleeping bags. We need tents. We need, you know, warm jackets, mittens, hats, scarves. You know, these are all things that from time to time we'll put you know, put on our website. So please look there. We continue to need food. We need sandwiches. We have for years, a big thing at the lighthouse was to give us bagged lunches. And that's a family friendly activity and something that students could do too. And we had classrooms of kids participate, girl and boy scout troops do that. Right now we're, we're calling them unbagged lunches. So just sandwiches, 
in a Ziploc bag that we provide the extra stuff that people are able to walk up to our pantry and take the sandwiches and take, you know, some water and something else. So we're looking for that as well. But please, you know, look at our website, but we are, we're just grateful for everything that we can get. And we look forward, hopefully this summer to bringing our uh, volunteers back in. It's lonely without them. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, Sherry, how about you? What, what can people do to help? Well, I'll echo what Joanne said and you know, the, you know, financial donations give us flexibility to meet whatever the need is where it's great to have the stuff. And we were very fortunate that we actually had a, a drive-through donation drive in October that was very successful. And, you know, so things like diapers and wipes and formula that has a, a pretty long shelf life, you know, we've been stockpiling those so that we have those. But it's really just, you know, the financial piece is nice, but there are lots of other ways that aren't financial. One of the greatest things that somebody can do, and it costs nothing so anybody can do it, is go to our social media pages and share our messaging. Share what we're talking about, because in the end, our issues are not going to go away when the pandemic does. When COVID-19 ends, there's still going to be partner violence. There's still going to be homelessness. People are still going to be hungry. So our issues long outlive the pandemic. So sharing that information. So, you know, from my perspective, so somebody knows what to do if, if they're on a Zoom call and see something happening, which is very likely abusive behavior, what do I do? You know, we've been working with some teachers on, you know, what do you do if you're sitting there with your class? There was a horrible story out of Florida where a teacher was actually with a fourth grade, I think it was fourth grade, third or fourth grade classroom, and something started happening. She could tell that something was happening and she muted the computer of the child and then the child's screen went blank. Well, the mother was killed by the abusive partner while that child was in the classroom. And so people are seeing things in a very different way than they've ever seen it before. So making sure that that messaging is out. You know, yes, we need all of these other things, but we need this stuff too. We need the community to know what to do if they have a friend who needs food, if they know somebody from their church who's now homeless, any of those sorts of things we that are able to need to be helping spread the message so that those who need help can get access to it. And I, I say that because that's a, you know, it's a great, you know, yes, we love the diapers and the wipes and the formula and the food. And, you know, we have a wish list on our website as well, but, and those things are all great and needed and important, but not everybody can do that. And so if you really want to help, but don't have the means to do that, here's a great free way that you can do it and really help us have an impact on the community both today and tomorrow. Yeah, it's great to have options. So that is really helpful to know. How about you, Susan? What would what do you suggest that people do that's really helpful for you? So right now, I I definitely agree with Joanne and Cheryl. Having the funds to be able to move forward in the next six months is really going to be crucial. So if you're able to give, definitely, um, I would encourage it for us or other nonprofits that are out there, like. We're, we're struggling right now to be able to meet the need and to continue to meet that need. But also sharing uh, if and checking on your neighbors, checking on the elderly, making sure that they have food, uh, making sure that everybody is taken care of and just um, making sure that people know. Because if you're watching this, then you know that the Anne Arundel County Food Bank is out there. And on our website is a list of pantries that you can go to. But making sure that other people are aware too of where the resources are and how to get help. Yeah, I think that is important, thinking about resources and how to share those with, with others who need them. And so whether that be, you know, links and knowing where to mm -hmm. go and the actual, you know, how, how do I get to the pantry and how do I actually obtain what I need? That is, that is helpful. Well, thank you so much 
to all of you for, for being here today. So thank you to, to Joanne from the Lighthouse Shelter, from Susan from the Anne Arundel County Food Bank, and Sherry from House of Ruth, Maryland. Thank you not only for taking the time to be here today to speak with me, but also for all the amazing work that you do. You are filling such a huge hole in the community right now that is unfortunately very, very deep. So hopefully this is inspirational to some of our listeners to to support during this holiday season, but also beyond because it sounds like the need is only growing. So we are a community and how to find a way to reach out and and support each other during this great time of need. We love to hear your thoughts, comments, and questions. If you enjoyed what you heard today, check out more at thirdfloorviews.com. I'm Jenna Jefferson. This is Third Floor Views. Thank you for listening.